welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is just a celebration of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because we're going to talk about both On the Basis of Sex, the new film starring Felicity Jones, and the documentary that came out last year, RBG, or last summer, I should say. But hey, Oscar nominations are coming out in a couple weeks, and that one might be more so in the conversation than the movie. So figured why not talk about them both? I'm very happy to be joined by my friend Sydney Weiss. Sydney, how's it going? Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Really glad you could join me for this. I thought you would be me a too. Great, great person to talk about this with because I, as far as people I know that like are kind of in the podcasting game and I know that are good at this thing um, and uh, just someone that I knew could appreciate um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life and would probably see all these things. You kind of checked all those boxes. So I'm uh, glad you could join <laughs> me. But uh, So for those of you who um, are listening but haven't seen the movies yet or have seen the movies, I'm just to refresh you, uh, RBG came out last summer and it's a documentary that really almost does the cradle to the Brave story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the movie On the Basis of Sex is the feature film that just came out uh, starring Felicity Jones and just in the last couple weeks got like a wider release across the country. And I wanted to talk about it because, I mean, uh, I'm a lawyer and I feel like I should, if I'm going to do this movie podcast, why not do a podcast about one of the most famous lawyers we have? Um, Sydney, as someone that also I'm sure is just familiar with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, having been a law student and followed such issues that she's relevant to over the last several years. I'm, I'm sure that you this movie this movie was kind of on your radar as it was coming out, but I also think you probably knew a little bit more, at least going in, than Ruth Bader Ginsburg than like your average moviegoer would. But not necessarily yeah, not necessarily totally. not necessarily like every single detail that came out in this. So uh, when you we're gonna talk a little bit more about the movie first, but also reference a documentary. But uh, going into this movie, like what were you hoping to get from it as someone that probably already like knows a decent amount about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but and already has opinions about her as it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was super excited to see this movie for yeah. so many reasons, but I saw the documentary first. I think you did too, obviously, yep. um, over the summer. And I loved the documentary because it just really chronicled her life. And I love the commentary from her friends and her family and just kind of seeing aspects of her life that maybe you didn't you're not the, normal. You know, you know what I really love though? I love the Orrin, yeah. Hatch, Orrin Hatch commentary. That really was my favorite part. Yeah. I thought that was great too. <laughs> no, no, I, I was, I I was kind of joking because like, I don't, I don't like Orrin Hatch, but it, it well, was, it was rather either, insightful. But I thought it was really cool how <laughs> yeah. they showed people from both sides of the aisle who had such profound respect for her. And I think that really speaks volume. So I was super excited to see this movie. I actually have a, a an RBG wall calendar that my friend got me <laughs> oh, over man. the holidays. Be, like it's just staring at me right now because she's just so cool. And whether <laughs> you or not you identify as a liberal or progressive or conservative Republican, whatever it might be, you have to you I don't know, take into account just how amazing she is and what she's done for women and and men across the country. And so all of this to say, I was super excited to see this movie. You're so right in saying, yes, I did have an idea of who she was and um, her impact and her legacy prior to going to the movie. And I'm sure that colored my perception, right, in some way. But um, I, I was really looking forward to it. And I, I was impressed by it. I mean, of course, there were some things that I didn't love because that's always going to happen when you go to a movie. But overall, I was super impressed. Yeah, and I really like the documentary too, but I liked the documentary so much that I was like, man, is this movie really necessary? Like that just told the story totally. of her, her life so well. And I personally thought the trailer I the trailer had me a little worried. It looked a little bit more traditional, corny biopicky, and I just thought like this already told the story of her life so well. Do I also need a feature film on top of that? And I was worried it was just gonna do the same thing. And yeah. luckily it 
the the movie the best part about it for me was that it actually focused on a bulk of its time on stuff that the documentary didn't spend on and spend any time on. And I thought that like, that was, I mean, it, it did tell the story about like her time in college up until like going to Rutgers, which the, the doc touches on, but then the movie really goes, the, the, the big part about this movie, and I re- normally give a little more of a synopsis at the beginning of the podcast, but I mean, this movie does tell the story of Ruth Bader Ginsburg from like when she's in law school to her struggle and her encounters with sexism in the legal field in New York city, trying to get a job and yeah. having way more trouble than any Columbia Val Victoria slash Harvard Val Victoria and should have getting a job mm-hmm. but then it but then it largely uh, spends the like the latter two-thirds of the movie on her deciding she's going to invest a lot of her time in fighting for women's rights which the documentary does touch on but this did exactly what I hoped the movie would do and that it actually just told a very specific story and went all in on uh, a legal case because those are my favorite types of documentary or not documentaries of movies about biopics where it's like here's a slice of this person's life that's very interesting and we're going to get focused on it and tell you the really good details about it you know and this this, and this largely tells the story of her representing a man named charles moritz who uh was a i guess a lifelong bachelor who ended up taking care of his sick mom but wanted to leave the house to uh do other things with his time and he deducted the expense he took in uh hiring a nurse to take care of his mom from his taxes when he filed them with the irs and there's actually is like an there used to be like an exemption that a caretaker could get to have someone take care of another person for them but it wasn't available to bachelors because it was presumed that they wouldn't have Mm -hmm. a a wife a, a, a wife that had gotten sick or someone something like that or a parent that just wouldn't care enough about their parents to do it and it was just an example of the laws not applying equally to the sexes yeah. and that, that became yeah. like her life's work and i just found it really interesting seeing that process uh and how they depicted it because the movie talks a couple about the documentary talks about a couple of the legal cases that she deals with there's the uh the woman that uh can't get a housing allowance in the military and a guy who can't get social security benefits when he's raising his kid on his own when his wife dies but this is actually her first one and the documentary just totally glosses over it so i was kind of learning about it for the first time yeah well, I thought that it was really cool the way they depicted the movie. I mean, yes, the documentary goes into more detail about her life from start to where it is now. Mm-hmm. But obviously the movie focuses on this one, and I don't want to say small, but this one aspect of her life. And I think the movie really is a dis- depiction of her finding her voice mm-hmm. and really her finding her her legal voice. So even though it's not like tracing the full arc of her career necessarily, I mean, it's focusing on that first sex discrimination case, which you touched on. And then it just goes to show how it propelled her into really refocusing and restructuring her life and her life's work and her mission and what she chose to focus on. Because so many people don't know where RBG originated in terms of being this pioneer for women, for sex-based discrimination, for wanting to change what was it, like 178 different laws or something. Most people don't know that. And what's so fascinating about the tax case that they focus on in this movie is just the fact that when you think about sex-based discrimination, you don't think about it as being discrimination against a man. You think about it as being against a woman. So the fact that this was the case that really propelled her, that they took, she and Marty took this case pro bono. They were up in front of the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, and that was what, what began this journey for her. I mean, it's like 
most people don't know that. And I think a lot of people probably walked away from this film going, wow, okay, so this is actually how it started. Yeah, and I was actually a little ignorant of her history myself until seeing the documentary. Like, obviously, as someone who went to law school, I had to read into Con Law. Like, I read her opinions, and I knew where she stood, right. where, where she stood as far as how the rankings of the progressive to conservative members of the bench. But I honestly didn't know anything about her pre-Supreme Court career. And so that was why the documentary was so much fun for me, getting to see exactly yeah. like how, how she did all of those things. And and like you said, she obviously found her voice, found her viewpoint. And but what, I, what I found so interesting, at least a, a little bit in the documentary, and it obviously gets that in the movie too, is that like she was like almost three steps ahead in how she was thinking about this stuff in terms of something like a case where uh, in Louisiana, which I actually think they talk, they, it gets referenced in the movie. They talk a little bit more about it in the documentary, but like in Louisiana, like women could opt out of like jury duty because they, they need to be mm-hmm. the ones to take care of the kids. And someone like a little more cynically might be like, oh, well, like should, that, that's the woman getting an advantage, right? Like they don't have to go to jury duty. They can go do whatever they right. want. But it's like, no, actually, like this is something that like they're assuming that the women are the caretakers and putting – that's kind of uh, thrusting gender norms upon them that they didn't ask for. And on top of that, like a woman that then is on trial is more or less likely to actually have a jury of her peers. And I, that's something like um, I guess I'm just an ignorant dude because I didn't even think about it that way. I'm like, wow. That's really smart that she thought about it. Her, she mm-hmm. thought about it that way, and it just shows how. I mean, it probably helped that she was a ended up not that like she should have been relegated to being a law professor at Rutgers instead of working at a big time law firm, but she was teaching these issues for a while and just obviously was like so far ahead of everyone else and just seeing how all these different laws could affect women. Yeah, I mean, obviously she was so well versed right in the topic in the conversation, and so it almost feels like it was a natural next step that she went from being so devoted to academia to actually being on in center, on center stage in front of appellate courts, arguing, pursuing a litigation agenda at the same time. I mean, all this before she ended up on the Supreme Court, but I think it just kind of goes to show there was sort of a natural um, evolution, even if in that moment she didn't know it, yeah. right? Because she, she was teaching at Rutgers and that's not what she wanted to do. She wanted to be at a law firm, but she was turned down. I don't know how many times because she was a woman. And yeah. so I, I just think it's a really cool that they depicted that as well. Well, and one of the other things is that like, I not knowing a ton about her career going into the documentary, even going into this movie, I assumed when I saw this movie, I hadn't seen the documentary in a little while. And I thought, Oh, well, I guess maybe she like didn't get a job at like a big law firm. Uh, quote unquote mm-hmm. big law, but maybe she just like had to work at a firm that would have been like beneath what any other person with her qualifications would have for a couple of years. And then she went on and like did the teaching thing and then got into the ACLU stuff. And that's not what happened. I, uh, she, I guess she actually did clerk for a couple of years and th- that was even really hard to get. And then she just went to straight being a, straight to being a professor. So yeah, like she, yeah. I mean, she found this as her calling, but it's, it's just such a crazy unique story because for someone to then all of a sudden like actually argue like six cases in front of the Supreme Court and who knows how many at the district district court level without ever having practiced law is like it's just really insane so like she's actually the, and that's one of the cool things about the movie I think and I wanted to ask you about that is someone who uh, did moot court in law school you actually get to see her learning how to do this on the fly mm-hmm. and they they set up like a mock trial with a, like an appellate 
court. It's like grilling her. How did you think the movie kind of uh, depicted her having to learn how to do that and also at the same time having to deal with the sexism of people just assuming like, well, your husband's so he's such a smooth yeah. talker. Uh, maybe you should just like let him do it. What did you think of the movie showing her like growth as a litigator without ever actually having been a litigator? Because I thought that was pretty cool. Totally. Yeah, I thought that scene was awesome. I think it's what in their dining room and they bring in um, like three friends, one of which was like one of her professors at Rutgers and um, training her or just kind of had, had having that practice, that moot court practice. And I think it was really interesting how they showed she was getting emotional in the sense that she was getting frustrated and that then the default was to go to Marty to have him be, um, you know, the person who would argue in front of the 10th circuit court of appeals. But I thought it was really cool. And I thought it was a cool scene. And like, granted in real life, I don't know if you could really get like, you could get it that quickly in like one night of like doing a moot court of preparing. I'm sure there's a lot more. Well, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure she had to do plenty movie. of preparation. Yeah, yeah. Totally. But I thought that was cool. But I thought it was really interesting how the default then was to go to have to, for Marty to be the one to speak. And I think then you fast forward a little bit to the scene when they're actually in front of the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals and she freaks out like she freezes like she she is unable to sort of assert herself, I think, the way that she would have wanted to. And I think it showed the combination of like the reality of the time of what it was like for women and the, the internal struggle that she was facing of like, no, I want to stand up for myself and my case and my argument and what I believe in and trying to strike a balance between the two. And then, of course, you know, it ends with her really finding her voice and asserting herself and speaking truth to power in that way at the end of the movie. So I thought that was a really interesting, it just really showed her character's growth more than anything between those two scenes, but it was cool. Yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like I, that last scene at the 10th, is it the 10th uh, District Court of Appeals? Uh, I think. Uh, Yeah, I think it's the 10th circuit. 10th circuit. Yeah. 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 So like I, in that scene, I at the I, I I wish I had read a little bit more about the making of the movie before we did this because I don't know if it was like uh, I'm sure they like went off of court transcripts and stuff and it is pretty accurate, but it almost felt a little bit too much of like a dramatic movie t- making yeah. embellishment type thing to have. Well, it's, it felt like a, a movie about a football team that goes down by like 30 points and had to come back at the end. It's like <laughs> not all football games are like this where I, I, I wonder, right. and I, I guess I kind of found myself questioning that I was in the movie. It's like, I, I'm sure like it's to- to- totally plausible that she like picked up steam as it went along and she like really figured out what her points were going to be and she killed it on rebuttal. But it was like, oh, I fell apart. This guy did really good, and then she stops Marty right the second he's about to stand up, and then she all of a sudden has, like, the perfect point. Like, I don't know if that's exactly how it went down. It almost felt like too much of, like, a dramatic comeback, like, that was embellished for the movies when it's probably – the real story is probably compelling enough on its own. But, like, I Mm -hmm. thought it was, like – I thought it was, like, really – like, the whole entire sequence, though, was pretty well acted, and it was kind of fun to watch her, like, win those judges over and – because she obviously did. They didn't make up the ruling. So that at least that part of it's true, and they probably came into it with a lot of preconceived notions and one of the things i wanted to talk about though was just when i first asked you to do the podcast uh but you and me like we both graduated law school the same year so we haven't had to think about like con law both since we were basically one l's i guess and that's i I, i'm gonna feel old if i try and calculate exactly how many years that's been but uh i think it's it's almost six yeah i know so (laughs) 
so it, it was well, just funny though because uh, you said you were a little worried because like I mean I, I mean I guess I'm a little bit more doing nuts and bolts litigating these days than you are even though we're both working as lawyers but you were like hey don't ask me to like break down all the specific con con law <laughs> arguments in there and I'm like I'm not going to do that no one wants to listen to that but nobody wants to but, hear but, that but, but, but no. I went into it expecting there to be like just maybe a lot because you had seen the movie before me i went into it just expecting there to be a lot more of that than there was and i think one of the impressive parts of the movies to me though was that like i think someone even someone that just never went to law school could probably understand pretty well the arguments that were at play and i think it did a good job of breaking that down if nothing else you know like um it didn't necessarily go all into like a full con law lesson about, well, here's the suspect classes that get uh, strict scrutiny when you have to examine the laws passed involving them, and here's intermediate scrutiny, and here's the rational basis theory. Like, it didn't go into all that, but like it did kind of do a good job of like saying, like, here's why this isn't fair, and like there's clearly like the idea of just simply like following legislative intent, and that's easy mm-hmm. enough for an audience to understand, and just the fact that like they had to have there wasn't really a compelling reason and you don't need to get too deep into the terminology for the sake of a movie. But like, I think people can certainly get the idea of the law that was dealing that the laws they were dealing with and the argument she was trying to make without having a law degree like us. Yeah, I agree. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the movie focuses a lot on the intersection of law and culture. And so it talks a lot about the implications of the laws at that time and also how the culture was shifting on its own without even the laws changing at the same time. Yeah, everyone and keeps so for, everyone keeps telling her like the people aren't there yet, the people aren't there yeah, yet, and then she yeah. eventually has to look around and realize, hey, maybe they're wrong. And all she has to do is look at her daughter, mm-hmm. look at Jane, look at the way that she's so outspoken and I guess you could say angry and fired up. Um, and there's that one scene where I think it was like construction workers or something are whistling at them in the rain and Jane like is all fired up. She's like, you talk to your mother with that mouth. And, and Ruth is like, Whoa, like just goes to show just how much things have changed from one generation to the next. And I think that's the, the movie did a really good job of, of showing that the, the components of culture in that way and how it does interplay with the law and how, okay, Ruth really then wanted to step up and help to change the law to match the evolution of culture and where it was going. So they made it super easy to understand, which is what I think you have to do. I mean, this isn't like a, I mean, in some ways it kind of, it was, it was a biopic, but it was also like a courtroom drama. Like it was a legal drama at the same time. And so you've got to make it easy for everybody to understand and follow. And I think that you're right. They did a really good job well, with that. Court of drama, but also, I guess, I don't even know what the word is, but more just like a, um, a period piece about the times, uh, and yeah. just yeah. How, 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 how they were changing and how, and she did see that really soon. Um, she has the, she has the scene where she goes and talks to Dorothy Kenyon, who I was someone that yeah. she really looked up to and was like a pioneer. But I think like, it's kind of shown that like, she, she's obviously like had this long career and is pretty jaded and cynical at a certain point and almost too much show to see what Ruth can see. It's interesting that like, from what I've read about Dorothy Kenyon since seeing the movie and learning about her, like she obviously did a lot of good things, but it's like, mm-hmm. um, she she did it in a time where like she was almost fighting more of an uphill battle than Ruth was because Ruth came along at a time where it was right for change for someone to go and do all the things she did and surgically pick all these different lawsuits that she picked to then affect all yeah. of this change. And yeah. um, it, it's uh, largely about just her realizing that they're at a point in society where like, hey, we can get this done. 
Yeah. Um, and I also think the presence of Dorothy Kenyon in that scene with her character also kind of shows that like progress in society is not inevitable. So you have this woman, Dorothy Kenyon, prominent lawyer of her time, basically fighting um, for women's rights and equality and and all the things that then Ruth then stepped up and all these other women and men stepped up to fight against, too. But that. Every single time one person kind of begins to set the stage for another, it allows another person to kind of rise and do the same thing in a different way or in a more profound way. So progress in that sense is not inevitable because if it was, then Dorothy would have been super successful. But it goes to show then that set the stage for RBG, who has set the stage for all these other women and men who continue and continue and continue. And today, I mean... You look at the beginning of the movie, she's like, what, one of nine women attending Harvard Law School. There's that scene where they're like, you're taking the space for a man. But then in contrast today, I think like women comprise more than half of law students, right, in law schools in the United States. Yeah, and then one of the opening scenes in the documentary is her granddaughter telling her that, hey, my Harvard class is like the first one that was 50% women. Uh, so yeah. That, that's yeah. kind of like a cool coincidence that like th- that actually happened to be the case given where it was. When totally. it started, but I, I did like the point you made just about how like uh, someone else is setting the stage for someone else to do something else because it, it's not like one person can just fix it all in uh, one fell swoop and just make the whole entire legal profession equal. Mm-hmm. It's 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 an ongoing thing, and I think the movie does kind of do a good job of just showing simply showing a lot of the challenges that she did face, even beyond just the uh, the job search part of it. I mean, it, it, it really was a struggle for her, and I think she it, it does a good job. Like, in the documentary, like, you see, you, you hear everyone talk about it, but the, the movie is us, like, actually seeing that depicted, right. and I and, and I appreciate that. Like, I mean, first, there is the stuff she experienced at the law school, and then the inherent sexism of the, um, the dean who won't let her transfer, even though he's in still get a Harvard degree, even though like a lot of other people have done it. Then there's the job search. And even then she goes to the ACLU to Mel Wolf, who's played by Justin Theroux, who is an actor that I really like from the leftovers and uh, some other stuff. And it's actually the director of the movie I should have said is Mimi leader, who um, that's a whole other thing in and of itself. And that she is a director that really like it, the fact that she got to direct this movie, uh, just as a quick aside is kind of cool because uh, she directed like movies in the nineties and stuff like that, but like didn't really have any massive hits and then went to like m- movie director jail and just didn't get yeah. to make a lot of big movies for a while. Yeah. Cause it happens to female directors. Like they, they don't get as many bites at the apple as men do. And she, she like got to do a lot of really good directing on the leftovers. And it was a producer on that show, which Justin threw acted on, but like, that she is now like kind of getting another shot when she is kind of being the victim of Hollywood itself being a little bit sexist. Uh, that's really cool. But like, um, to, to my, I mean, to my main point, like she, he, she went, Ruth goes to the ACLU and like, he's excited to see her. But like, I mean, a lot of the movie is Mel Wolf, like telling her like, no, you shouldn't be the one to do this. No, you shouldn't be the one to do this. So even the guy in like the ACLU, yeah. you would think being the most progressive person still has some fairly retrograde views. And I mean, he kind of evolves by the end of the movie and he sees she was right all along, but it's like, even in the places where you think everyone is going to be the friendliest and most supportive on issues like these, like you're still going to combat sexism, even in the most unlikely of places. Yeah, and I think, listen, even though he was working at the ACLU and pushing for issues like this one, it goes to show the sexism of the time was, like, 
everywhere. And it didn't matter, even if we were considered more progressive, there were still limitations. There were still people who were unwilling in some ways to take what I think they viewed at the time as a risk and to put like, there's that one line in the movie where they're like, if you lose, you're going to set the women's movement back 10 years. Um, of course that didn't happen, but I think it goes to show there was a lot of fear there and a lot of, um, I don't know if it's lack of trust, but just a lot of fear and a lot of worry and not wanting to misstep because they were totally in new territory, no matter what kind of end of the spectrum you were, you were on in terms of how progressive you were. So I thought that his role as, um, Mel Wolf of the ACLU was really well done too, because it goes just to show like even someone you would expect to be an ally was in some ways either a difficult ally or an adversary in the sense that she still needed to prove herself. Yeah. Or, or, or just, uh, kind of ignorant. And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean like it may, maybe some of his intentions came from a good place where he wanted to make this progress, but he, he didn't probably have the trust in her initially that she should have. She kind of had to go, go off on her own off the reservation a little bit and do her like, and just like be like, Hey, I'm not going to settle this case. Like you want me to, like, it wouldn't be fair to this client that I asked to put a lot of trust. Yeah. in me. Did you, did you have any other thoughts like on that first section of the movie? Cause like I'm saying, even though I appreciate that it really focused on this one case that I didn't know a lot about, and it's more my kind of biopic. The one thing I will say about the beginning of the movie is like, and I don't even know if it's like possible for the movie to have done a better job than this. And the the documentary talks about it too. And it's like, I didn't need this stuff about her in law school here. Like, cause I knew that from the doc and it could have all just been about that. Like 1950, like 1960 to 1972 period of her life. But I don't know if there's any way to like fully depict like how much of a badass she must've been between like the ages of 21 and 26. Uh, yeah. cause I, not only to like, like we already mentioned being, um, uh, being one of the only women in the Harvard class where you have the deans questioning why you're taking a spot from a man and that kind of thing. But, but then to like, on top of that, be the top of your class on top of that, make law review on top of that, uh, have a, have a baby on top of that, have a husband that is, uh, sick from, uh, really, uh, with a really bad cancer prognosis. Uh, and then still somehow like like not go crazy. I don't yeah, know. I feel like yeah. I, I feel like there's almost no way not no way to fully capture like how amazing accomplish like getting through all that was. So I, I appreciate them trying, but it's like almost like man, like that had to have been even harder than they made it look. And uh, yeah. yeah, I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? that. Yeah. I think they needed to have those beginning scenes because the movie is called On the Basis of Sex, right? So it's all about the fight against gender-based discrimination on both sides. And so they really needed to show that she not only was passionate about it, but that she had experienced it firsthand. So like that first scene, she's walking in a sea, in a sea literally of like white men to that song. What is it like 10,000 men of Harvard or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, something like that. And then there's that speech about like what it means to be a Harvard man. And then um, like that scene at the dinner party was like, perfect in the sense that it really depicted the way that people felt or men, most men felt about women in higher education or in education period. So I don't think they could have done a better job. I thought they did a really good job. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, I don't know if they talk, did they mention this in the movie or in the documentary that there were no bathrooms for women at Harvard law school at that time? I think that was, I think that, I don't know, that might've been in the documentary, but I, I don't know. I, 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 I now, I now remember them saying that. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think know. they really needed to set that stage, and then you know she's she's literally. Yeah, I mean, that's probably where she first started like, gaining her viewpoint on those kind of things. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, she went to Cornell, which I'm sure like any Ivy League school in that time wouldn't have had uh wouldn't have had like the most uh, balanced gender breakdown. Um, but it seems like it, it, it had to start somewhere where these issues started like uh, making a 
uh, an impression on her. And so it does make sense that you would have it start at Harvard where she yeah. first uh, encountered that gender imbalance. Yeah. And I agree. And I think, um, you know, it was interesting too, how she wanted to transfer, um, to Columbia cause Marty was got a job in New York and the Dean was like, Nope, sorry, you won't have a Harvard law degree. It'll have to be a Columbia law degree. And they touched on how they had done that for a man. Like a man was able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think it goes to show that from top to bottom, these were things that she had experienced very early on in her career. Um, and, and then the, just the way or things that happened that kind of just, I don't know, like shift shaped her worldview in some respects. And then obviously not getting a job at any law firm that had to be super difficult, um, because she was a woman, they didn't want to extend her the offer. So I think the movie really set the stage well for just what the impetus was for her. Yeah. And it's funny. You mentioned the whole thing about, uh, again, about the, them not letting her get a Harvard degree, but take her last year at Columbia because that's the Dean of the, uh, Harvard law school was the one that got to make that call. And his name is Mm Erwin Griswold. And I was like, Mm -hmm. man, this is like very convenient that like he happens to like also be the solicitor general when they're trying to like bring these cases through. But I I looked it up and it's like, that's not something they made up from the movie. It's literally actually, um, but it's also like, it's, it's a funny example of, uh, kind of what we were talking about earlier with Mel Wolf, where, uh, even some, some, some men that might actually like be on the right side of issues that we would agree with, uh, would still have like some very, uh, backwards views on sex because, uh, I, I I was just doing some research on him because I didn't really know a lot about him. And apparently he was a member of the U S civil rights commission from 61 to 67. And he actually like gave like John F. Kennedy a lot of crap for like not being progressive enough on some of those issues. And like Kennedy got really mad at him for, for Griswold saying like, you're not even using the full power of the presidency to advance civil rights mm-hmm. in the way you could. And, and you do see that a little bit throughout the movie where everyone's like, they, they, they just refuse to see that like sex discrimination could be a thing. It's like even the people totally. that like their, their priorities are in the right place on race. Uh, it's like they're like they're like all out to help with that, but they just can't even comprehend the fact that like women that are of the same race that are white, like, I mean, in all, I mean, obviously women of all races ha- ha- have the same issues, but they're just like, I mean, you're, you're just, you're, you're not a black person, you know, like yeah. w- w- what do you have to complain about? You know, it's like they, they were just kind of blind to those kind of issues, even if like, Hey, he actually really helped in other areas of civil rights. Like they really were, uh, messed up when it came to yeah. their views on women. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just shows to show the limited perspectives and the understanding and just, uh, the ignorance, I think across the table, um, period. But then you have the ca- character like that. And then you contrast it with someone like Marty, who's like totally, I think, considered a unicorn, right? For he seems time. like a perfect person. <laughs> kind of like a, perfect. The, the, the movie does show a few flaws. Like the documentary was like, man, he was perfect. He was so charming. They were a great match together because she's the shy one. He's the outgoing one. He was so, so, he moved to DC for her. He talked her up a lot. But then like the movie actually like doesn't, it stops a little short of saying he's 100% perfect because even right. he has to like kind of come to the realization that like, hey, the, here's how the, the men might just be like dismissive of the women at like a, a cocktail party, not mm-hmm. realizing like everything she's capable of. Like they're going to be dismissive in social situations or stuff like that. And he was just a little blind to that. Um, yeah. But so it's like, hey, even a guy that seemingly is perfect might even have a few blind spots. And men, men we got to be like cognizant of that. Like you might think you're the most progressive, like forward thinking guy, but like you need to like not be like so sure of yourself and be willing to question things. 
Yeah, totally. And I thought that scene, the cocktail party scene that you're referencing was mm-hmm. interesting because there's almost, it looked like there was a moment where he realized like how wrong that was, but then he's unwilling to speak up, right? And he's unwilling to sort of make waves in like that group of men. So I just, I, I, I agree with you. I think there are limitations and they did show his limitations in that way, but at the same time he cooked and he like, kind of like was the go-between between Ruth and their daughter, Jane. And, um, there was an exhibit over here in LA at the Skirball center. Um, it was like a whole exhibit for RBG and it was, they had like, um, they just talked a lot about their relationship and how he was so understanding and supportive and so different for his time. And, and so it's just interesting to see. I think she had a lot of support around her that helped to push her to become who she is today. But a lot of people in her life too, who challenged her and who made her kind of speak up and stand up and grow her voice in a way. So it's interesting to see how she kind of had both, both types around her, um, that kind of just fueled her career. But Super interesting, the contrast with Marty in the movie too. Yeah. One of the last things I wanted to ask you about before we finish up was just uh, one thing the doc. One of the things the documentary touches on a little bit more than the movie is just because the documentary is so uh, wide ranging in the time period it follows is um, it, we and we and I, I when I made the Orrin Hatch joke at the beginning we kind of touched on it how like she kind of like had these. Um, had respect from like other people and it's kind of crazy yeah, to watch yeah. like them talk in the documentary about how like she got confirmed 97 to 3 um and like Orrin Hatch like and that's why I was like making the joke about Orrin Hatch and just being like such a I don't know like the, just like the worst of the Republican Party they can like sit here and like <laughs> sit here and like joke about like how oh yeah like you know she charmed us and like she I, I might not agree on everything with her but like at the end mm-hmm. of the day she shows she earned it which is true but like he can say that and then be like part of the group of people that does something like hold up the Merrick Garland nomination for like no reason you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's like it just I, I thought it was kind of funny just how the documentary showed just how much things have changed in the last 25 years uh yeah and and not necessarily always for the better oh, for, oh, oh d- definitely not for the better but like it is interesting how she's like um kind of been someone that's been around for like both of those eras and has i, I guess i mean i mean I, I guess clarence thomas is the only person now on the bench that's been there longer than her i think and so or, yeah no yeah briar was after her so like because he was a clinton it was like the second mm-hmm. clinton employee but like it's like yeah. i don't know I, I thought it was interesting how the, the movie got at that and it got, gets at her the documentary gets at her relationship with scalia and there's a lot of talk about that these days about how can you get along with people that have like different points of view from you mm-hmm. and i thought it's interesting that she's like some kind of avatar for that and how it's like her, her existence as early as it came about is like a good starting point to show like how far we have fallen but at the same time like she is someone that like is able to get along with people that clearly have different views than her and i mean this woman has to go to work every day with freaking brett kavanaugh you know what i mean and 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 not (laughs) and and not go crazy which has to be a challenge yeah and 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 i I respect that as someone that like comes from the is uh grew up in the panhandle of florida and like has family member with like very different views than i do Mm -hmm. and i i I don't know i I don't know if you have any thoughts on that and just her her existence like having a very clear point of view on things and it was another interesting thing i want to say the doc did was that it talked about how her she actually did shift to be a little more progressive as the court shifted like she was like hey right. I, I now know my place and i can I, I'm, I'm comfortable enough with where i am to like start like 
moving a little bit more to one side because I, it's necessary. Uh, I don't know. That, that was the one thing I just I, – I, I guess I just want to finish by asking you about is because like that's kind of the biggest thing the documentary touches on because the movie doesn't get to that point in her career. And like how you thought that she uh, has existed since coming on the bench and – I don't know. I, I guess I don't really have a question. Yeah. It's more just like no, I'm really not asking anything. I'm just rambling. But I wanted to like at least have <laughs> I wanted to have us pay lip service to like that portion of her life because yeah, we just talked totally. a lot about the movie and that doesn't do it. So uh, how do you, how do you personally think the documentary kind of captured everything she has kind of come to mean to the culture and how she has kind of like uh, been able to stay so relevant and become more of a star than ever and really done her own thing? I think. It's interesting because when she was appointed on the court by Clinton in like 93 or whatever it was, I don't think she ever had any expectation to be such a, like a strong force on the court and someone who really needed to descend and to descend big time. And of course, like she's risen to like pop culture fame in the last, I don't know, decade or so. And so I think it's really interesting, especially in the documentary, how they portray that and what you said and just how she is a friend to people on both sides of the aisle. And I think in some ways she's kind of a marker of a lost time and a marker of how we should be and what should be expected and how how we should be operating. But the truth of the matter is, is most people can't get along with someone who has a differing viewpoint or they don't have tolerance for the other, or they can't, um, exist in the same space. And so I think it's really fascinating and wonderful just to see her relationship with Scalia and the way that that's kind of portrayed definitely in the documentary. And I think in some ways it is a marker of a lost time, but it's also a reminder of just how much things need to continue to change and move forward in a more progressive way. And I think it brings me back to something I said much earlier, which is that progress is not inevitable. So even though we have this amazing figure on the Supreme Court, but she's 85 years old and we're constantly like holding on. And there's, uh, I don't, I think he was in a pod save America, but John Lovett is always like RBG better have a walk-in tub because we can't afford oh, for her to fall and hurt herself. I mean, I think it's funny, but it's so true at the same time. I mean, we are holding That was, that was me knocking on wood just now. I don't know if I got I know, I know. I saw that, but I think <laughs> But seriously, like knock on wood and like pray because we're all holding on for her to stay on the court. And I think it's just a marker of the time. And I think she is truly incredible for all the reasons that are mentioned in the movie, but also for her resilience and her stamina and her work ethic and her uh, commitment to really being um, nonpartisan in some ways, but also a friend to the court on both sides. Well, I, so I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, I mean, you because you, you, you made the comment about nonpartisan, but like it actually does. The I, I, I was impressed because like the documentary, like she, apparently it was her son. It was like her wasn't her, 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 her nephew, her nephew, her nephew, her nephew yeah. wrote the movie, but like she obviously had. So like I think she got like final approval on the script, which probably isn't the best thing for like a for a um, for a biopic. Like you don't want to be like the subject probably should have a little <laughs> distance from it, but like uh, at least the documentary, which one of the best things about it is how much access it has is, I mean, yeah. most Supreme court justices don't do a lot of press. It's not that mm -hmm. common. Uh, and she, and I, so I like getting all that access, but like they did at least like make her answer for um, uh, calling out Donald Trump. And uh, yeah. which I mean, while a lot of us might be agreeing with her at the same time, that's not really the role of a judge. So it did make her, kind of answer to that at the same time. So I kind of appreciated that like it, it, it did kind of like maybe point out her mistakes too, even though she has such a high approval rating amongst at least the two of us and a lot of like-minded people. So, right. Uh, right. Know, and I think that's that. important to mention too, because listen, you know, 
while judges are supposed to be nonpartisan, there's always some partisanship, especially in their opinions, whether it's a dissent or it's not. They're always speaking for what they believe a law should be should be based upon precedent. And so, of course, you know, and depending on who you're appointed by, which president also reflects party in that sense. But I I don't know. I think the movie does a good job, though, regardless of all those things of really just showing her path and her journey and how she has really how she really evolved from her time at Harvard Law School to, by the end, arguing in front of the Supreme Court and really um, commanding respect for who she was and who she is. And so I think the movie does a good job in that in that sense. But, I mean, you can't ignore you can't ignore the rest of it, I guess, is the best way to put it. Right. Well, I th- that thus concludes the part of the podcast where both of us just go on long, random rants about how great Ruth Bader Ginsburg is without actually having a lot of point to them. But, like, I feel like more needed to be say about, like, the the, 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 the woman as, like um, – as the icon she's become now and her career on the Supreme Court, because like I said, I was happy that the movie focused on stuff before that, but like, yeah. why, why do you a podcast on it if you aren't going to talk about uh, her, her importance now? And I mean, and, and another thing I did like that the doc did, because we've mentioned her icon status a couple times. It was fun watching her uh, watch the SNL stuff and talk about like the... I loved that scene. That was I, awesome. I, and, I, and I do believe that she doesn't have a TV in her house. You know, like, I mean, it sounds like she does just like kind of go home and like work and mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. like a re- regular old person that doesn't sleep normally she just like it seems like maybe those sleeping habits at least the movie implies that they might have started when she was in law school because she was having to like take care of her kid and the husband and study and all that stuff but like i i I, I, when some people say like oh i don't watch the media coverage i do buy that she probably didn't watch the snl stuff until someone actually put it in front of her because why would she be watching snl she has much more Mm -hmm. like important things to be doing unlike me so i I like watching that i liked her acknowledging like at least talking about the because like we, we we both went to law school in the 2010s like we've all seen people wearing the shirts but it's funny to actually like get her talking about it and like showing that like she gives them the people as gifts like that's just the kind of yeah. stuff that's like yeah. I mean, it's, it might not be as important as all this other stuff we've talked about in the podcast but it's kind of fun to watch her engage with that kind of stuff as an 86 year old woman yeah and i think that part of it is really cool just kind of her embracing her newfound fame i guess is the way mm-hmm. you put it and notoriety and given the way people that- talked about her when she was younger when they're just like oh she was so shy and never wanted to speak up Right. And I think for her, I can only imagine like on a personal level, how cool that must be to go from being somebody who literally could not get a job at a law firm, could not command respect in her profession to literally being an icon for so many on the Supreme Court. I think that that on a personal level, that has to be really cool. There are shirts, there are mugs, there are, (laughs) there are neck collars, there are necklaces, there are exhibits, movies, everything is it's amazing just to watch so maybe i'm a little biased because i'm an rbg fan but you know i don't know i think you're right you have to you have to take note of that because that's pretty cool yeah and uh and i mean i guess i'm coming at it from the same biased way and i who knows maybe i didn't uh critique this movie as harshly as i should have because it and because I, I i did come in with those other positive opinions on her but like i mean i can recognize the movie's faults and still say like where totally. still still say where it did a good job i do think there are a few points in the movie where you could like uh felicity jones's british accent slip through um i, yeah, I, I, I mean, when you're trying, trying to juggle when trying you're trying too to, hard with the brooklyn accent trying to juggle that and the brooklyn accent i can hear it but it's like and, and like i'm not actually the big 
biggest fan of hers as an actor. I came into it like saying that um, I wish it had been Carrie Coon, but then I because uh, and she actually also worked on the Leftovers with Mimi Leader and Justin Theroux. And I, I just the pictures of young Ruth Bader Ginsburg from the documentary made me think of Carrie Coon. So I got a little stuck mm-hmm. on it at that point, but I'm not sure I could have bought Carrie Coon as a college student. Felicity Jones just looks a little younger, and and I I, I didn't love um, a few other Felicity Jones movies I've seen recently. She's in a really good movie movie called Light Crazy that came out in like mm-hmm. 2010. Um, and I don't really think she's had a movie I've loved since then. So I was a little worried about it, especially yeah. about the accent. But like when the accent wasn't slipping through, like I think she did a good job of really conveying like a lot of the challenges that she had to face. And like while still, because like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a, a rather stoic person, to be able to show, to be able to convincingly act like in response to some of the sexist stuff that she faced is uh, pretty impressive when you are a little constricted as the actor by the nature of the person you're playing who does, totally. does, is not someone that has a lot of outward emotions. So I, I don't think it's an easy acting job to do, and all things considered, like she she pulled it off pretty well. Um, yeah, do you, have, do you have any other final thoughts before we sign off, uh, Sydney? Um, no, I think overall it was a really good movie. Of course, there's always faults and stuff, and I do wonder just about the portrayal of... Um, the government, the, the, um, in the, um, the 10th circuit case, I wonder if that's totally accurate. Cause I think it was in a way, I don't know, they kind of bumped up Ruth and Mar- Marty that way. So I, I need to do some research just to see if like just the portrayal of them in that particular scene, I just was thinking about that randomly, but honestly, I thought it was a good movie and I think the documentary is great. And I think you mentioned to me that it's now on Hulu. So anybody can watch right. the documentary, yeah. which is great. But I think in general, the movie just did a really good job of reminding people of just I don't know how hard she's fought to reverse gender-based discrimination. Oh, that does remind me. The one thing I did want to say, mm-hmm. the movie is called On the Basis of Sex, but there's that one scene yeah. where someone is typing up the brief for her, and they're like, mm, I think you use the word sex too much. You should, you should say gender. And I think I read somewhere that, like, after that point, she just really preferred using gender in her briefs as opposed to sex. Huh. So I thought that was interesting. But I think it goes to show, listen, it's a movie. You want it to be provocative. You want it to be engaging. You want it to pull people in. So, But overall, I thought it was a good movie. Yeah, so and, and, has, yeah, yeah so definitely go check it out. movie's good. I, um, documentary, like, legit has a chance at an Oscar nomination. So if you're curious about checking that out, it, it's on Hulu. And, um, and yeah, I mean, just uh, – I mean, I, I'm not expecting a ton of people to, to be listening to this that are like uh, like on the other end of the political spectrum from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But uh, so, I, I mean, I think like if you can watch like the documentary, though, and you see like a lot of the stuff from like her confirmation hearings, it's I mean, I do think it, one reason like if you're just curious to see like how our country's changed, like watching those document, watching the documentary is really interesting, probably regardless of your political mm-hmm. beliefs, because it's like very striking to see someone like talking as like openly as she is about just like her views on abortion and still getting like confirmed like 96 to three. Like it, it's like very it's I don't know. It was very surreal watching that and yeah. having her. And I mean, it was very impressive watching her like be that bold and stating her thoughts on that. But uh, th- just going from watching that to then thinking about the fact that she got confirmed and now like or the new precedent is that like you're never going to get a supreme court justice confirmed unless you control the senate is Mm -hmm. like it's it's just like very very like crazy and says a lot about like the time she that like the 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 respect that she commanded but also where our country is uh now and i totally a sign of the times yeah so definitely like a lot you can get out of this even if you're just not like if even if you don't idolize ruth bader ginsburg like a lot of the people that probably see this movie and not that there's anything wrong with that so um sydney before we get out of here uh do do you want to plug anything i know you got your own podcast going on so if you want to tell the listeners about that first of all thank you so much for having me on you You did a podcast 
two years ago or something, yeah. um, talking about the inconvenient, an inconvenient sequel with Al Gore. Yeah. So it's awesome. To come one, back. one of these days, you are welcome to come join me to talk about like a funny rom com that you liked or something okay. like that. You don't have, you don't like, you don't have to be relegated to serious issue person. <laughs> I, I just like I just thought you'd be serious good. issues. Yeah, but seriously, yeah. I would love to come on and talk about any movie ever. So this is awesome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, so yeah, so I have my own podcast. It's called Seek the Joy Podcast. Um, I would love it if anyone is interested to check it out. Um, I have conversations with people every week. We talk about um, self-love, joy, connection, empowerment, and wellness. It's really um, inspired by my ongoing journey towards empowerment and learning about myself and life. And so I started it um, over a year ago, and it's been a lot of fun. New episodes are released every Tuesday. So we'd love it if anyone is interested um, to check it out. You can find us um, seekthejoypodcast.com or seekthejoypodcast on your favorite uh, podcast platform. Ironically enough, I think that theme of your podcast kind of has some tie-ins to the movies we just talked about. And it the does. Theme is kind of, it's all uh, about finding your voice and what brings you joy and following your passions to really live, yeah. I think, um, in some ways, your most authentic life. So um, it's been a fun ride. And uh, yeah, so I would love if anyone checked it out. Awesome. And uh, as usual on Twitter, I'm at Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. I've been saying for like the last year, it's the same, it's two words on letterbox, but I realized my letterbox username might actually be this, the same thing, the two of them combined. So, uh, you can find me on there as well. Uh, coming up next after this episode, we'll probably have a podcast on vice. So sticking with somewhat, uh, politics and government related themes. And then we'll coming up after that, we might have a couple of the early 2009 releases before we do an awards podcast in advance of the Oscars. So stay tuned for all that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.